We are a group of friends bound by our appreciation for liberty and good podcasting. Free-minded thinkers from all walks of life, our values come together with one accord to discuss the common culture and news of the day, along with whatever random crap is going on in our lives. Welcome to the Union of the Unknowns. everybody and welcome to an episode of Union of the Unknowns. Thank you so much for joining us and today we have with us our unknowns. We have Stella from Australia. We have Kiel Thor and we have a very special guest Jose Gallison who is here to speak with us about Terrence Yeeke, a police officer that committed suicide after the Oklahoma City bombing. So I'm going to go ahead and get right into it. Jose, why don't you tell us a little bit about what you do in general and then what kind of got you down this rabbit hole? Uh, what I do in general, I have a podcast, uh, No Way Jose Podcast. I started in the like kind of peak COVID, uh, had a little extra time on my hands uh, and just kind of was like looking for outreach in some form. Uh, I mean, it's kind of transformed what it was started as and what it is now. But generally speaking, it's just an outlet for me to cover content. I want to cover things that generally interest me, which tend to be things like libertarian theory. I guess you can say like a little bit of political analysis. Uh, and then, uh, I mean, now more so than I used to be, but a little bit like kind of conspiracy type stuff too. I typically seem to be more intrigued, at least for covering on my channel, uh, I guess you can almost call it like true crime conspiracy, like like typically of the government corruption kind. Uh, I like the woo-woo stuff a bit from like me covering it. I don't know if you can like, I don't know if we get into, because when you say conspiracy, it's such a wide topic. Like you can talk, some people will think like the same Tripoli's of the world and like the, where they kind of go into a little bit more crazy stuff. And I mean, I like listening to that stuff. It's fun. But so far as covering my show, it's, it's going to be more stuff like Oklahoma City bombing. But that's kind of what I've been on a roll from lately is Oklahoma City bombing is I've kind of, that, that's kind of what I've been gotten known for a little bit of a name for recently because I did a, I've done a somewhere in the ballpark of like 15 hours series, uh, kind of like covering pretty much all the major, you know, components of the Oklahoma City bombing conspiracy story, like the important stuff uh, with a like the expert, in my opinion, Richard Booth, who's essentially the crypt keeper of the of the largest public archive of Oklahoma City bombing documents. He's kind of thrown that all together on the Libertarian Institute. Uh, and he's kind of just over the years collected all these documents, kind of analyzed them. Uh, and so he is like the guy and he just took that to my podcast and I just kind of hit record and talk to him. And, you know, we've kind of gone through all the major stuff. So I gotten well known for that somewhat. I've gone on a few big shows, talked about it. So here we are. That's kind of what, what I've made my bones on, I guess, recently. But it was genuinely just a thing that just kind of interests me. And, you know, well, hey, it's my show. That's what I'm going to talk about. And, you know, I guess here we are. I mean, I also am semi-known. It's funny how it works in this game. It almost seems like if you don't have, like, two things you're doing, it's like, you you, you know, like, you kind of have to, like, diversify to... Because it's weird, because, like, I've kind of sort of gotten over the OKC bombing thing, but what kind of gave me my break in a certain sense, not that I'm a big wig at all, but like kind of get on bigger shows and stuff, is Tower Gang, which is weird. 
because it's like an offensive comedy podcast. It's just me and a few buddies goofing off. So if you don't like that, if you don't like stepbrothers type humor, uh, yeah. dudes just do dooting around, then it's not for you, and that's fine. It doesn't have to be for everybody. But uh, you know, that's kind of what got me my break. That's what got me on Tim Cast, and from there, then I've been you know gone on other shows, kind of doing my whole you know OKC spiel, and you know, most notably, part of the problem was probably the biggest appearance I've had talking about that so far. I just got booked on uh, Tim Foil Hat, and it'll be on there in June. Uh, awesome. but, but yeah, uh, that's, that's kind of who I am in a nutshell. Like I said, targeting is like defensive comedy and just generally, you know, libertarian theory, conspiracies, just whatever the heck I'm interested in talking about at that given time. Uh, yeah, I mean, I do, I've done a lot of live reading series too, where I just like kind of read a book. So I know it's, you know, you, you, you kind of, there's multiple things you'll get from my show if you're following it. So, yeah. Um, a couple of things I have watched your entire, um, OKC series with Richard Booth, and it's very, very good. It's very comprehensive, and it's a great place to start, I think. Now, I know Richard has his own syllabus for the course, mm -hmm. but I really think that your series is a great starting point, and not just a starting point. I mean, there's a lot of information. It's worth a listen and a re-listen and a re-listen after that, mm -hmm. um, but I do always laugh when you're like, um, it's an offensive comedy show, Tower Gang podcast. If that's not your thing, don't fucking listen. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, people get it. It's kind of been known for people getting offended by it, and you're like, I mean, it's kind of what we're branding it as, so I don't yeah. know. If you're like, I'm offended, like, Okay, cool. <laughs> it's 2023. Everybody's going to be offended by something. But um, okay, so I wanted to also ask you a little bit about the Jinx edit, right? Because once I saw you, I wasn't following you. I wasn't aware of the work that you were doing. But for some reason that day, the algorithm put your tweet in my feed. And you said, you know, I'm talking about this on Temple. If you you know, retweet this, then I'll follow you or whatever. And I did. And I, I touched base with you and you agreed to come speak with us very generously. And um, so I just wanted to get a little more information about how, you know, that the jinx edit, what does that even mean? What are those words? And then um, a little bit about the, the Tim pool discussion and how you feel that that was received with that crowd. Mm -hmm uh okay yeah jinx the jinx video i guess we're to start with it. it's just a it's like a, probably like an edit i guess is kind of what you were getting at like what to the audience what is that when someone says edit i mean it's like a twitter word uh, where people make these little like two minute long ish videos with you know little kind of different you know music uh pictures whatever but this one's uh the the he made a little edit in you know for terence Eke. there's a few different versions of them and both are great uh, I think one of them has like the Justin Bieber stay song or whatever, which, but a slightly different version. It's actually pretty good. And it just shows Very pictures. Good. Yeah. It shows pictures of like, you know, Terrence Yeeke, just little like, uh, kind of, you know, excerpts from little sources, kind of like, you know, uh, kind of giving you the facts throughout, just kind of boom, boom, boom. And you kind of, within those two minutes, get a kind of rough idea of the story of Terrence. And it does it in a way that really kind of, you know, hits you in the heartstrings. Uh, it's very, you know, emotional and it kind of sucks you in. That's what got me started uh, on this that was that, uh, you know, that specific edit. That's what caught me. Like, because I knew, like, I mean, I've, I've been a libertarian for a while. I've been someone who's been hip somewhat on, like, MKUltra, Northwood. So I, I've known that these ops, these things happen. I'd never really done a deep dive on Oklahoma City bombing. I saw this Terrence Yeeke edit hit my feed. 
And I was like, whoa. This is like, I mean, I was kind of like thought there was probably some more of the Oklahoma City bombing, but never really looked into it. And then I saw that edit, and I was like, holy crap, this Terrence Yeeke guy. And then once you dig into the story of Terrence Yeeke, then it naturally lends itself to digging itself into the Oklahoma City bombing because kind of the whole premise behind it is like, right. why was this police officer killed? Because he clearly didn't kill himself. So then yeah. it starts at me, and you ask questions of like, did it seems to be he'd raised some alarms about the Oklahoma City bombing. I mean, what's going on there so it's like it naturally implies that what's going and then that then leads into like now you start digging for answers there and you realize that like as you start tugging these threads there get to be more and more threads to tug on you're like whoa <laughs> insane it is totally yeah. insane and we will put the jinx edit link in our show notes and i definitely encourage everyone to check it out because it is very moving for this quick video it's like a beautiful song. It's uh, it's extremely touching. So there was another question there, wasn't there? I think I only answered half uh, of your questions. Yes. How, how did you feel that that information was received? Because that was kind of like, you're like, okay, I'm doing it. I'm going on temple and I'm going to, I'm wearing my Terrence Yuki didn't kill himself shirt and I'm, I'm fucking bringing it. So I was just curious because even though you did part of the problem after that, this was really, it was like a huge show for you to go on and kind of, to say like fuck it i'm talking about it yeah well i knew that just like because i kind of did my studying i mean i've never been one to watch a ton of tim pool in general just not really my jam i mean i like a lot of those people uh you know uh particularly a lot of the staff i've kind of been aware aware of or known or talked to before and a lot of them are really cool so uh but um I kind of had an idea with the format of the show that like kind of worst case scenario, what I can do is at the very least going to blurb in probably at the very beginning or maybe the very end. Cause obviously, you know, every show, like every podcast, most people watch in general, all uh, has the general template of, Hey, who are you? And uh, you know, let, tell me about yourself. And at the end you're like, Oh, that's nice. And you kind of do your plugs and let's get out of here. And that's kind of like your general template. So I knew I'd have the beginning and the end. So I kind of just in my head had to think like a, a quick little blurb to kind of, you know, just a little talking point. I, I knew as long as I got that, I was happy. But I would, I'd be lying if I said, I joked, I called on Tower Gang, we called it Sage Mode, where I legit was like, the only content I was consuming for probably like a week prior was nothing but Oklahoma City bombing stuff. I mean, like, I think probably like a day out, I really like kind of was like, all right, what are the current events stuff? Because, I'm, and then even then in my head, I'm like thinking like, all right, well, what are ways I can caveat this to that? So I'm like, what what is this thing? Can I connect it? What Oklahoma City bombing thing can I connect it to? Because I knew like, I I know what I'm good at. I know the content I, I'm like, I want to cover. And so I'm like, if I can find a way to get that to that, great. But I knew that all of that was mostly probably going to be for naught. Because this is, this is Tim Cass. And, and that's right. fine. I mean, I, I'm actually glad I put in that time to learn some of the stuff. Because now when I do these spiels on other shows... It's like I'm kind of ironing it out better. So whatever. Either right. way, it was a win-win no matter what, whether I got to use that, got to, you know, use my studying or whatever then. Uh, but either way, I got the little blurb in the beginning. At the end, I was actually very happy with the appearance. I know there are a lot of autists in our community that were really upset. They're like, he came here to talk about Oklahoma City Bombing. Why didn't you guys talk about it? He clearly, that's his thing. And you're like, okay, but this is, if you watch Tim Pool, like that is the temple of the show. Like you can't get upset. Like the, the template is, 
hey, you're a random person. You're the guest of the day. Cool. I know every guest probably usually has their things they like to talk about. But hey, we're talking about the current event things I want to talk about. And if you can somehow squeeze your stuff into that, great. But otherwise, we're talking about this stuff. So I mean, that's I knew what I was getting into. And I think I like aside from that yet, it wasn't didn't get to touch on a lot of Oklahoma City bombing stuff, but I, I got a lot of good talking. I think, you know, it's you kind of you're building up rapport, you know, like I've called, so it gave me like a, as silly as this may sound in the podcasting world, it's like kind of credentialism is like the fact that oh, I've gone on this show. So now sure. I'm able to get on bigger shows to talk about this shit. So whatever, I don't care. <laughs> yeah. And I feel like you, you're planting seeds there, you know, I mean, for people to, to hear that, maybe they don't do anything at that time, but who knows in a year when they see someone else's tweet, when they see this, when they see that. Um, so that's huge. And yeah, uh, I mean, has the sorry, question, so I wanted to- real quick, I did, while we're still on this topic, I do think there is something to that, just like even the networking side of it. Like I legit just kind of on Twitter the other day put a shout out to the the booker of Timcast, who you know I kind of have a decent relationship with, and I put out. I don't know if you guys are familiar with Radix, and if you know Brandon Caserta with the Michigan uh, kidnapping stuff, I kind of shout out. I'm like, hey, these two, because Radix is working a documentary on the on the Michigan kidnapping stuff right now. I was like, hey, these two right here, like Brandon Caserta was one of the quote unquote conspirators of the the, the Michigan stuff. I was like, these two would be great for a combo episode. You yes. should totally do that. And then like within like an hour they're like announcing yep we're going on in june so it's like it's just little stuff like that like it you know hey whatever this stuff like just generally treating people nicely and i don't know (laughs) like it gets you networking and spreading um you know the seeds of curiosity for what really happened um to this stuff stella are you uh able to ask your question or uh yep can you hear me all right yes hey hey jose um just moving sort of into the more researchy sort of area, I, I'm curious about the. Um, did you have uh, much call for Freedom of Information Act requirements during your research for all this? Dude, I'll be honest. I have never put in a FOIA request ever. Now, uh, okay. when, well, when I <laughs> now uh, I I when, when I say I always we people say research. I'm like my research really has been mostly hitting record while talking to a legitimate expert. But I have read. Uh, I'm in about a quarter of the way through Wendy Painting's book, Local Sea Bombing. I've read Roger Charles' book on it, which are probably like the two best books to read. And I've listened to a ton of podcasts and other audio books, you know, but so far as like actual on the ground, I guess I've done a little bit because I just I did just record or did a had um, I mean, I've done a little bit of my own research, kind of like dug at little threads kind of behind the scenes, kind of, and uh, like I had Steven Vassar on my show recently, who that was the first time he's done like a public thing like that. He was used as a source in this recent CNN article, but he was a John Doe 2 eyewitness. He was friends with Terrence Yeeke. Uh What else? There was something else weird with him. Yeah, John Doe 2, Terrence Yeeke, and one of the first responders as well. So, I mean, that's, I guess you could call that research, but I mean, research can mean a million different things. I haven't done any of the FOIA stuff. I know Richard Booth, my expert, has done a lot of the FOIA stuff. Like, probably the one he's most known for is the FOIA that revealed uh, that uh, Merrick Garland, in the midst of the Oklahoma City bombing, like the prosecution against McVeigh, uh, flew out to D.C. to meet with Hillary Clinton because he got the FOIAs Mm. for the... uh, for the logbook at the White House, uh, like the guest list or whatever. And he literally like basically flew in that day, flew right back out to go right back to Oklahoma City bombing uh, mm-hmm. or for the uh, the trial or whatever, the McVeigh trial. And so like he w- did that for you that proved that like 
he's meeting with Merrick Garland, like basically like sort of the head dude prosecuting McVeigh went to go meet with Hillary Clinton. And it's weird that like, why couldn't you just, why is this stuff you couldn't just say over the phone? I don't know. We'll probably never know, but it's like, he flew right out there, flew right back out to meet with the, with the then uh, first lady, uh, you know, (laughs) so I don't know. (laughs) Speculate, speculate away. (laughs) Well, and now look where he's at. It obviously (laughs) his loyalty has paid off for him. Um, So, and I do, I do want to get back to everyone. I want everyone to have a chance to ask you any questions. But the last thing that I wanted to talk about before we really get into the story of Terry is um, let's talk a little bit about the CNN article, because that came out very shortly after your appearance on the Tim Pool podcast. So I know there's been some speculation that maybe um, this kind of spurred that to come out a little bit of truth from CNN. And then uh, the other thing about that is recently too, I was like, and I wonder also if they're planting a seed for Tubin's book um, that I thought that know, too recently. I, I connected yeah. that dot too. It's like, you kind of make it look like, Hey, we're doing a little bit good. And then you got to kind of throw out the limited hangout real quick. <laughs> yes. so. That Tubin guy, he keeps popping up. <laughs> yes. He keeps yeah, it's it's pretty pathetic though. When you go look at his, I was looking at his engagement the other day. It is sad. Uh, <laughs> All that. I'm glad. I'm so glad. I'm so glad. Fuck him. Yes. Yeah. It's just nuts though. Dude has like a quarter million followers on Twitter, and he can't get over a hundred likes on a post to go to go talk about his book on CNN with Anderson Cooper. And you're like how <laughs> it just makes that what world are we living in like even if it is complete propaganda which it is it's yeah. still like wow it's just it's pathetic <laughs> like the state they're in right now which so yeah, i guess it's so heartening bad. no one really gives a damn what he has to say i guess but it's still some tripe out there that in a certain sense in i guess quote unquote respectable minds is like is going to be stuff you're gonna to have to contend with. So in the future, when you're having these discussions, they'll be like, they'll source this and be like, well, well, of course we know he was just some right wing uh, fanatic, which I don't even like this discussion, like whether McVeigh was a conservative or not. Cause it's like, it's kind of missing the point. Like, yeah. like if you're focused on whether McVeigh was a conservative, it's like, who cares? Like the whole point, if you understand the Oklahoma City bombing story is it's not a left right thing. It's the government's screwing you at the very best. The best way you can interpret the Oklahoma City bombing is that they screwed up so bad. Like they were in, in like criminal ineptitude. Like that is the the most the most gracious way you can give it to our overlords <laughs> is an understanding and even that is like kind of pushing credulity where you're like all right let's be real it's a little worse than that 100 <laughs> and i i did want to get your overall on that because honestly it just seems like that they have been laying the groundwork for the last longer than 30 years who knows how long these motherfuckers have been dreaming this shit up to get to where we're at now to say this bomber 28 years ago is like you. He's just like you. He's just like a regular MAGA Republican, you know. And and I that's been the goal the whole time. This because the the people that they're trying to I think provoke and alienate from the rest of society are the people that are most likely to stand up to them and to say you're not being truthful here. Yeah. Um. But anyway, so that that's um. I don't. I don't want to dwell yeah, I, on that. I, I, I guess I, we go back to the CNN thing. I, you you did want to yes. touch on that. I don't I don't think I was responsible. But I do think, I guess, like, 
in a certain sense, maybe you could make the case. I guess it depends when you say if you were responsible. Now, like, I don't know if you, how you guys are, like, you kind of, you know, based your name off of, like, the union. Of the, I'm sure you've heard of the concept of, like, aggregors, of, like, where it's almost like a spirit of an idea that takes over. Like, I think in – or you can look at it like in a mimetic principle and the way memes mm -hmm. work. I think there's something there. Like, I'm not – so the mm -hmm. idea that, like – people there was like that energy and it was being contributed to and i think that energy led to that now like could you directly you know make some case me being directly responsible i don't think so i think if you understand like because i when it first happened i was like well maybe i did but then i talked to some other people who understand how this kind of investigative reporting goes on if you look at the sources that they talked to they had to have been working on this like if you're trying to draw like a one thing from like the point on because people always point to that thing on Timcast, like the video of me talking about Yiki, and then it's a month later that comes out. Now, they, if you look at the way the investigative reporting works and the sources and all the people to talk to, there he had to have been working on that before that. Uh, but like, I guess you could say in a sense, some of that energy that had been bubbling up under the surface before then that was from people like me and other people kind of talking about this stuff already. I mean, I guess maybe there's a case to be made that they were like, oh, like there's almost like there's this energy in that like. You know, that's kind of what led to this. And like, and like, obviously I did connect the dots from the, you know, their good CNN article there to the, the two, the Tubin travesty that came out, which mm -hmm. was, and even then with the Tubin thing, like I said, limited hangout, it is actually like they do definitely in the Tubin book from my understanding is it does kind of actually, like if you compare it to the official narrative, it actually is kind of closer to what probably really happened as opposed to the official narrative. But it does the, the the limited hangout thing where it it, it kind of has you talking about this other thing as opposed to being like look at all this government corruption it does it that's not even the premise of the book like they've kind of sidestepped that completely so it's a limited hangout in that sense like narrative way and they do like there are literal active you can tell by the sources you look at like uh for example the there's a source a letter that's commonly used where he uh is like a letter from him to his sister where he kind of goes into some of the sheep dipped stuff with McVeigh. Well, whether he, he, instead of getting failing out of special forces, if he actually went and uh, he claimed he did some covert ops that he, that is a legit thing. And, you know, whether you want to believe his word or not, uh, that is a legitimate source that he sent in a letter to his sister, this information it's from him. So do that what you will. Tubin completely sidesteps that and uses that to make some other mega point. And mm -hmm. so he's like referring to this to like, it, it's completely misleading the way he, he does it. But so he's, he's clearly aware when you look at the sources, he's dissecting for this, he's aware of the government corruption aspect of the story and completely sidestep it for the nonsense, mega, mega bullshit, whatever, like, right. like rah, rah, Ooh, the fucking, Oh, the rise of the right wing extremists. Like, okay, right. but where did this right wing extremist come from? Was he being egged on from the side lines from the feds, or even sometimes being provoked by them, or doing it themselves, depending yes. on what op we're talking about? You know? Yes, one hundred percent. And um, I had seen that you and Richard Booth had discussed the fact that you know that he read Wendy's book, Wendy Painting, who wrote Aberration. Mm -hmm. In the heartland uh, of the real, yeah. Yes. Mm -hmm. um, which Richard Booth has even said that he considers that to be like the creme de la creme of the research on Tim McVeigh. And so they know that Tubin read that. So this has to be deliberate. Um, yeah. The misleading of, of like, mudding <laughs> the waters. Yes.
Yes. Okay. Well, I definitely have blabbed enough. So I want to give everyone else a chance to um, ask you any questions that they may have. And I also want you to, as we kind of flow, just get into the stare, the, the story and let's really um, pay homage to Terry Yiki. Mm -hmm. Anybody have any questions? Yes. <clears throat> I've got a dumb question. <laughs> Who is Terrence Yiki? Who is Terrence Eakey? He was one of the first responders to the uh, Oklahoma City bombing, which occurred at the Murrah Fetter building on April 19th, 1995. Uh, I believe he was responding to... No, crap. Nah. No, that was uh, Vassar was responding to a stabbing. I don't remember what Yiki was, but he was a couple blocks away. So he was one of the first people who got to the Oklahoma City bombing. Uh, he made some claims about uh, some sketchy stuff. And a year and a month later, on May 8th, uh, 1996, uh, his body was discovered in a ditch on some federal land off some beaten path. Uh, he, there was a bullet wound to, the, to his head. There was what looks like his wrists were slashed multiple times. His throat was slashed multiple times. Uh, there was grass and dirt in the wounds. There was uh, handcuff bruises on the wrists and uh ankles and or ankles i forget which one there was also rope burns uh and his car was found a their lowest estimates is a half mile highest estimates a mile and a half away from uh away from the body the, that's where the car was found covered in blood also it looked like the side panels had kind of been torn up it looked like someone may even tried to like maybe burn papers or something on the floor uh because it kind of like kind of burnt up uh stuff uh, yeah, it's just a kind of gruesome scene that was uh, determined to be a suicide almost immediately. Uh, when I say almost, because it happened in a the, the jurisdiction of the Canadian County, uh, which was kind of like the next police jurisdiction over. Uh, Terry was a member of the OCPD, the Oklahoma City Police Department. His department, uh, you know, almost immediately came and took over jurisdiction from the uh, um, Canadian County Police. Uh, and that's when it, it got determined to be a suicide almost immediately when his department took it over. No autopsy was conducted, no ballistics test. If there, okay, I, I caveat this. If there was a ballistic test done, we will probably never know. It was not in the report, anything like that. So, uh, yeah, uh, that's, that's who Terrence Eakey is in a nutshell. Obviously, there gets to be a whole lot more intrigue. Uh, when you start digging into kind of like, well, what did he know? Uh, you know, kind of who are the people he's talking to? It, it, it's a, yeah, it's a, it's a whole conundrum. Uh, but yeah, it's definitely, even if you just look at the basic facts, the stuff that we don't have to get, you know, I don't know, uh, more out there on like third hand sources or whatever, even just the simple, you know, the, just the basic facts of like the body, how it was found, uh, that stuff is enough to be like, come on, this this is not a suicide. There was no suicide note found. Or at the very least, you can say there wasn't any evidence of a suicide. Because right. uh, to, you don't, when you show up on a body that's dead, the default position isn't suicide. You need to find evidence one way or the other. You need to find mm -hmm. evidence to support a homicide or a suicide. Either way, it's, uh, you know, it's kind of undetermined until there's something to support it. So I mean, if it's a suicide, well, where's the evidence it's suicide? Uh, I don't think any was really ever, ever you know, offered up to us. And then take with that uh, a couple of things like uh, you in one of your your work on like in your OKC series, you streamed an interview that his ex-wife had done on a radio station in Oklahoma. So hearing what she had to say, 
You also brought uh, the letter that he wrote to a friend and the fact that he had had mentioned that feds were on his tail and he was going to try to shake them. And the other items that or the other things on his checklist that he seemed to desperately be trying to get done. And he seemed fearful. Yes. Yeah. Like one of the things he did before he died is he was trying to get his ex-wife, Tanya, to remarry him you know, explicitly for the reason of uh you know wanting to um uh, you know to make sure the children were provided for if anything was to happen which obviously he was kind of like well that's a weird thing to say uh so you know he was definitely that was kind of where they're at uh i mean a lot of people ask well you know what what was the official like what was the i say official narrative i mean this in like a kind of a loose sense i don't they kind of you know seem to hide from this but the, what they seem to want people to believe is that he was distraught from the Oklahoma City bombing. He was also distraught from having family problems because, like I mentioned, ex-wife, about a roughly, I think about a month or so prior to the Oklahoma City bombing, uh, they had, I believe they had some sort of domestic issues. It's kind of up in the air what exactly happened. I guess according to court records, at least what I've heard, is that he, you know, supposedly put hands on his, on his, on Tanya. I don't know. It's something from 95, something to do with, like I said, like he was like, he snapped. She did admit in the radio interview. If you listen to it, she said something. She definitely does not at all make it sound like he put hands on it. And I've kind of uh, heard from some third hand sources, you know, stuff that I haven't, I wouldn't, you know, put out names on that, that she still kind of sticks by that he didn't. So, uh, I mean, now this is like kind of third hand sources, not directly from her. Uh, so I don't know. I, I don't, you know, not put hands on him. I, I don't know. Either way, even if he did put hands on her, that doesn't make it like he still could have, you know, still been a hero in the Oklahoma City bombing, saved sure. multiple lives. He still could have, you know, been, you know, looking into this stuff because wanting to do the right thing. And, you know, that's, you know, it's one thing to hit your wife. It's another thing to be like, you could, it's completely possible someone could hit their wife and also still be like in another sense a hero and be like, I'm going to get this information out to the public because this is evil or whatever. Those two right. things can exist at the same time. Uh, I don't really know exactly what happened there, but they leaned hard into that because when that stuff happened, they got what's called a VPO, uh, which is essentially like a restraining order. But then they tried to get him for violating it. They literally, the day of, called Tanya, and this is something you would hear in the uh, radio interview. They call her. This is before they found the body or even were talking about it being missing. They called Tanya. It's, it's my opinion that likely they probably already knew he was dead at this point. But they called Tanya to ask to try to get her to report him for violating the VPO because a lot of people knew they were interacting. She was who picked him up from the the bombing, which happened a month after the the, the VPO. So, yeah, I mean, I guess technically they, they were violating it. Tanya was violating, he was violating it. According to the right. radio interview, it seemed to be they were almost sounded like they're rekindling things. She was talking yes. about that, that he would introduce her as his wife, and she sounded kind of pleased by that when she brought up yes. in it. So that sounded to me like, I mean, I've been married for like a decade of, you know, two small children, or not, I guess not small, they're 13 and 10 now, but like it's i can understand if you and your wife were going through something and getting back together they seem to be I mean, it's when you bend it together that long and have like children it's kind of it's it's kind of hard to break it off it sound like they were working things out i don't know it, it uh it but, sounded like she was um that she really was upset and she really mm -hmm. cared for him and it sounded like she had moved on from that especially like what you were saying the fact is that she she was who he called even though he had other family, she was the one that picked him up from the hospital. Yes. Yeah. Um, and also, oh, I wanted you to finish your thought. My apologies okay. for interrupting. And then uh, Stella had a question too. Oh, yeah. I guess it goes for Stella then, yeah. 
Uh, you finished your thought there, Jose? I, I kind of, I mean, if I had more to say, I forgot. I think I kind of hit all of it. Sorry. <laughs> okay. Well, while we're, while we're sort of still in that same area, I'm, I'm curious about uh, whether your research ever brought you to the first responders of Yiki's suicide scene. Did you ever get to talk to the Canadian first responders on that scene at all? Uh, I Which I'm not. sure they, I'm sure they got swept away very, very rapidly and told to shut up. I guess, I, but yeah, I'd like I to have... know more about that. I haven't, but I mean, bear in mind, I'm also 31. So like I wasn't, this happened in 95. So I wasn't like on the ground hitting a lot of stuff. I just started doing this in the last year. I mean, I have, you know, I'm all for, so anyone out there who knows anyone who had any, has any information to see bombing while they were there or new people were there, I'm willing to talk to anyone. Uh, it'd be kind of cool to get a lot of this stuff kind of accumulated on my show. Even if you aren't willing to go fully public, I mean, hell, even if, it's just for my own personal knowledge or if it's like I'd be anonymous, but I'm willing to talk about this, whatever, whatever the range of information you're willing to give, I'm, I'm down for. Obviously it's great if whoever the people are just willing to go full public, uh, kind of like Steve Vassar did, but uh, yeah, no, I haven't. I mean, I can tell you that it was uh, Mike Ramsey who discovered the body, but I also find it really odd. If you read the 1997 Hoffman article, Jim Ramsey also was with him, not Jim, Mike. There's a Mike and a Jim in this. There's a Mike Ramsey and a Jim Ramsey. Mike Ramsey's a Canadian County uh, uh, deputy. I believe he's actually found his car, not the one, the first one to find his body. Although maybe he found the body as well because they found the car that was covered in blood and then they started looking for the body. But it was Mike Ramsey who found the car. He also is the one who was the last person to, I believe, to see him before he died. So I thought that was kind of weird. I actually just noticed that connection last time I went through the article. I was like, I don't know how I didn't pick that up before. Uh, very weird because supposedly Terrence was having a sickle cell episode that day. And it was Mike who brought him back to his place uh, at that point. Although, like, it's weird. I mean, I'm not trying to say any... Uh, cast any negative you know aspersions onto mike ramsey because it seems to be from the stuff i'd seen he called for a murder murder investigator right off the bat he so i mean it, it seems to be although i don't know maybe there's more of that story maybe there's context we're missing i would love to talk to mike ramsey uh so yeah that that's the only real name i know aside from obviously then his department got there after that so uh, that's yeah. when it gets bob ricks uh which was a big name in the fbi at the time he's been involved in a a lot of, a lot of, you know, any people who follow, he was, I think he was one of the big names in Waco as well, Bob Ricks. Uh, so, and a lot of people who follow these type of things, you know, uh, OKC, you know, Ruby Ridge, Waco, that yeah, Bob Ricks um, is a name that comes up a lot. He was one of the first ones who showed up there uh, mm -hmm. with the OCPD, I believe, that he came out with oh, the, okay. the police chief, I believe. So, Larry yeah, Potts I, is another name apparently that's uh, associated with uh, Ruby Ridge, Waco, and OKC. Larry Potts, Larry, does that mean anything to you? Larry Potts, if I remember correctly, he was one of the higher ups in the feds. I think so far as like how he gets tied into OKC, if I'm remembering correctly, uh, that was a name that Timothy McVeigh gave to Terry Nichols and kind of heavily implied that that was kind of like his handler. Although mm -hmm. I'm of the opinion that's a little silly because I forget the ex exact uh, role Larry Potts had, but he was very high up, like very. So it was one of those things that like, it seems to be when it comes to like McVeigh and the things he said, he said a lot of conflicting things and to a lot of different people. Right. Um, so, and it's kind of like, you gotta like filter what he said through. Why would he say that? And who is he talking to? 
Um, at that time, he's talking Nichols. The role that Nichols seems to fill is almost like a useful idiot is kind of the vibe yeah. I get. So the information McVeigh is giving to Nichols, you probably should filter it with that in mind. Uh, also, I think McVeigh is probably aware that, you know, once this bombing goes down that they're going to look into it. So I don't know. I mean, I lean towards maybe he just thought it was funny to mess with Nichols or he thought like maybe it was funny that he knew that if Nichols did talk to some police later that he would say this big wig in the feds was like his handler and just to kind of, you know, mess with people. I don't know. It, it, I always thought that was weird. I mean, maybe Larry Potts really was his handler. I don't know. But it, it seems a little, a little weird to me. Even me being like kind of like a believing a lot of these fed op stuff that is like okay like i forget the exact guys the exact but let's let's be real like the head of the cia is probably not going to be some uh guy's handler i forget what larry potts is i'll have to look it up later i knew he was he was really high up he was past the point where it was like reasonable that he was literally working with hand in hand with field agents or informants or whoever you know <laughs> so it, it yeah uh, that that's that's where larry potts comes in as far as i know uh, I mean, maybe there's more to it. That that's the only real connection I've ever really heard of Larry Potts. So, um, Mike Ramsey was friends with Terrence Yeeke. Uh, if he or... was, I'm not aware. Uh, he he, I guess he kind of got called out. There was some uh, sickle cell episode uh, before, like basically the day of. They tried to imply. It does make you wonder, like you know, you know I guess if you like when you hear about the sickle cell episode, it does make you wonder like one or other things. Well, maybe there was more going on there. Cause it was just generally describing him being kind of weird and loopy and almost acting drunk. And they do kind of use that to kind of imply maybe substance abuse, but then his family later is like, no, he's sickle cell anemia. He has these episodes sometimes. And so, although maybe there was something more sinister going on there, I don't know. Cause it was the day of weird timing. I have no idea. He, there was some weird episode where he did end up kind of going to his family's house because he's having some sickle cell episode. I believe it ended up being like some cop, uh, you know, escorting him home later. And that cop, I believe, was Mike Ramsey, if I'm remembering it correctly. That's so Mike Ramsey then becoming later the one who discovers the vehicle. I believe he was also the one who kind of called for a murder investigator. So it's it just weird. I feel like there might be some context being missed here. Like it seems weird, a weird coincidence that the last person who seemed to see him alive is also the first person to discover, you know, I guess not technically his body, but his, his, you know, car covered in blood. I know there might be some context we're missing, uh, something, I, I don't know, maybe something alerted to him to earlier than other people to go look for him. Maybe he was already out and about. I mean, obviously he had dropped off Yiki not too long ago to whatever happened. So maybe he was kind of nearby, you know, wherever Yiki could be. I have no idea. There's, but I always, I did when I, I thought that was a weird, a weird coincidence. <laughs> you know? Yeah, very much. Very yeah. much. So. He was trying to follow up with him because he knew he was having troubles that day or something. And yeah, I don't know. I mean, maybe it's nothing sinister. On. Could just be happenstance. I right. have no idea. Because it is weird. Like, why? You would think if it was sinister, then he wouldn't have called for a uh, murder investigator. Or I don't know. Like, but if, I, if the car was off the beaten track, like you say it was, um, what hmm. would? what would have made him go and look for the car at that place. Yeah. As you say, yeah, so yeah, it's very, very odd. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And the other mm. thing um, that I, kind of about that though, is I wanted to talk about um, a little more detail in that interview uh, with his ex-wife. She was saying that he, 
he had superstitions about that place that Mm -hmm. he hated. Like he had bad vibes. It was near a prison. He would not have gone there voluntarily. So it was, um, it it was a very good interview that she did on um, the radio station and she was pretty comprehensive. I thought they asked her a lot Mm -hmm. of good questions, but that was something that stood out to me was that he, she was like, he never would have gone there. So what was he even doing there to begin with? And it was something that thought occurred to me was like, if he truly was being hounded by the feds and he knew it, it's possible that they were corralling him there. Mm. Why that specific location, you know, I, I don't know, or I don't understand um, unless it was just because it was close federal land. I don't know. What do you think about that? I think uh, that Tanya herself said in that interview that, Terrence had told her that they were monitoring him or monitoring them. So uh, he basically was alluding to that their wires were probably tapped and stuff like that. So I think it's not that crazy that maybe they, you know, for a period of time were kind of, you know, tracking him, kind of getting an idea. I think, I mean, it is kind of weird, like that they would use a superstition, you know, like how often is this guy really talking about some superstition that some feds could figure that out? I don't know. Maybe it's just a talk to people he knew. Maybe it was just a happenstance from tapping wires. I don't know. But either way, it does seem awfully convenient that he does end up there. And also that's on federal land. So I'm sure that might, uh, you know, it's weird that he would end up dead on federal land. Like it may be, you know, if we're being conspiratorial here, you could say maybe that's a smart way to go about so you can control things a little bit better. Uh, right. You know, whether you want to kind of pull some sort of federal land card of like, oh, well, we have this legal right because of uh, X, Y, Z here. I'd, I mean, I'm no lawyer, but I would assume it happening right. on federal land would grant them certain more uh, more flexibility to make things uh, work in their favor to some some ways. You know, I, I don't know. It, it does seem a little convenient that it ended up there. Uh, right by that, uh, you know, by the, you know, on the federal land, by that federal prison. Uh, yeah, and the, and the, it is definitely weird that it was somewhere he's scared of. I mean, I don't really know what to make of that. It is just, but yeah, I guess if, ideally, if you were to want to interrogate somebody, you would probably want to do it somewhere that uh, throws them off, you know, unnerves them, you know, so. Yeah. <laughs> I also yeah. find um, the, the nature of the injuries and the nature in which um, he died is, is horrific. I mean, it, it's, it's almost ritualistic, isn't it? There's the, the heavy slashing of the throat, which usually, you know, is trying to shut someone up. Um, the wrists, I don't know. I mean, I'm not an expert in symbology here, but um, it just seemed overly horrific and, and obviously not a suicide. Mm-hmm. You know, there's, there's got to be something in that. It's like we're showing it. Yeah, no, it is definitely was know. over the top. Someone said it. conspiracy. Yeah. I thought I'd jump in. <laughs> yeah, no, I, I do think that there is some aspect of where that sent a message. I think a lot of people, when you talk to people about conspiracies, they're like, oh, well, why would people act this way? Why? How are you going to keep something like this under wraps? And it's like, okay, well, this is how you control narratives. When you take a someone like him was a well-liked cop, uh, you know, seemed to want to do the right thing, and you horrifically murder him in like a blatant way, uh, and cover it up, I think that sends a strong message. The same sort of message on 
another individual, this guy named Chevy Kehoe, which was inv involved with all these like Elohim City guys who are kind of, uh, you know, most people who follow this believe these guys are tied in with McVeigh and assisted him. And were one of the, most of them were probably account for some of the numerous John Doe's that were, you know, were, you know, uh, you know, stated to be there around the time of the bombing. There are multiple John Doe's. Uh, there definitely seem to be people who helped McVeigh along this plot, and it seems to be them. Uh, now, this guy, Chevy Kehoe, who is kind of in this loose cadre of people, he murdered uh, Mueller, uh, individual named Mueller, and who was a kind of a gun dealer who used to pal around over in the Elohim city with all these people. Uh, he killed Mueller and his wife and his child, who was like younger than 10. Uh, and it is widely believed that that was to, because he knew too much and to kind of a, you know, a contract killing to kind of send a, for one, obviously send a message. And also kind of, you know, prevent uh, information getting out. So when you take into account things like that happening and the, the, the message that that sends, uh, you got to think any of the conspirators on that side that were aware of Kehoe, or not Kehoe, but what Kehoe did and, you know, the state that the Mueller family was in, I think that sends a very clear message of like, hey, uh, maybe you should, uh, you know, take and be careful what you say. <laughs> you know, yeah. Richard Guthrie, who was one of these other individuals, he ended up dead in prison. He was suicided as well. Uh, you know, you look at a lot of the names, a lot of people died in this. I mean, Kenneth Trinidu is another name of an individual who was suicided. And even then in the Kenneth Trinidu one, there's three other people associated with Kenneth Trinidu, that trial that dropped dead as well. So, uh, you know, once you start seeing all the people who are dying, it, it really does kind of make you kind of raises, makes you wonder what's going on. And you also got to take into account that kind of violence and how that influences the decision making of people that maybe could have made some sort of uh, difference in, in the, the public narrative, you know? Right. And the, the harassment that Tanya continued yep. to receive. Um, so that was one thing that I wanted to ask you about. Do we know, or in your discussions with like Richard Booth or, or some of these other people, where is Tanya today? Where are the children today? Are they speaking out on this? Um, do you know that information? Uh, I, somewhat, uh, I mean, like I said, I mean, I have talked to other people, so I'm kind of aware of happenings. It seems to be that the family, it, my impression, obviously I want to say this isn't like first accounts, but it seems to be my impression is they, uh, they're kind of just, you know, letting it lay where it is kind of now. I think they're kind of burnt out and I don't blame them. Uh, yeah. you know, so, I mean, they're kind of, I think they somewhat moved on their life. I don't know, uh, so far as siblings, I mean, so far as like, you know, his like children and, you know, ex-wife, that seems to be my impression. I, I don't know. I mean, there's a, there's a large family, so I can't account for what, how everyone feels. I think the mother is dead now. She was one of the other big ones who was kind of pushing it. Uh, I mean, she was kind of elderly at the time. I believe the mother, and I want to say is like one of his older sisters, I believe is dead as well. And she was one of the other ones, I believe, that was pu pushing it. I, I might be wrong on the sister. I know the mother's dead, though. So, I mean, you got to think this happened in 95. A, long, a lot of time has passed. A lot of the people who were pushing this stuff, uh, you know, either stopped or, you know, I guess after enough time of you receiving harassment and also not really receiving any dividends off of pushing this stuff, uh, I can see how you become jaded. I mean, I'm of the opinion I would, it would be really awesome if a lot of the family or people who know stuff really right now really do push hard because I think we're at a weird uh, turning point right now where people are really interested in this type of content. And I think, cause I man, I think this is the way this sort of stuff works. The, whether you want to say it was a full on false flag or, 
or you know, or the just pie on the face of the feds in general. This is the way these sort of things work. Is it takes decades before it reaches a point to where the public, uh, you know, the the official narrative, or at least starts to enter enter the public consciousness of what really happened. And I think we're at this weird, uh, you know, turning point where I think we have a big opportunity to kind of affect the public consciousness on what happened there. I think the information is out there. It's just a matter of essentially creating your own truth propaganda to push it out there. Uh, mm -hmm. And I think we're, you know, I think we're doing well at it. And I, I think we need to lean even further. As I pointed out, talking about the Tubin thing, I, that post of his made, didn't even get a hundred. And then within a few hours, I put it on the day of Terrence Yeeke's death. I put out a, a tweet about Terrence Yeeke. I got a thousand likes. I'm not even saying that to be like, you know, point out like, look at how many likes I have. My point is to like, look at the disparity. I have less than 5,000 right. followers. He's a quarter million followers. He can't get a hundred likes on, a, on going on CNN with the biggest CNN anchor. I just, you know, hey, this guy died. It's his anniversary. Thousand likes. <laughs> yeah. You know, like if I went, if I went on, uh, say I went on Kennedy on Fox Business and just you know, announced, you know, didn't even make a big point. Of it. I'm going on Kennedy to talk about Terrence Yeeke's death or whatever. I would probably get at least 300 likes and I'm like not even a tenth of the size of his account. So you just look at the disparity, uh, look at the, the, the state of the energy and the information we have. I think we're at a really uh, like a spot where you really can push this. And I think, it, you know, this story of Oklahoma City bombing, I think it ties into so many other things. It's almost like a Rosetta Stone for conspiracies. I think it's like a modern, like, I think if I was to suggest any conspiracy for anyone out there, like in this current day and age, I think the Oklahoma City bombing is the one. Because once you start understanding all the different threads there are to pull on, it really is such a good Rosetta Stone for all the different major conspiracies. There's MK Ultra. There's like essentially the right wing equivalent of COINTELPRO going on. There's like even the background when you really start digging, there's like weird like Fed infiltration of like religious groups and like mm -hmm. it, it gets weird once you start digging in all these different threads and all the different places they can go. There's Iran Contra. There's, it, it gets it gets wild. The, the, like the further out you go from there and, and just the way that informants operate, it just kind of is a good way to give you a good idea of you know kind of the the rough template of the the playing field of the the fed game if you will so and um i stella has a question but i wanted to quickly say too that um it it, it leads directly to where we're at now right like if you wear a red hat that says make america great again then you are the right-wing extremist i mean it is a clear path it's really incredible to see the work that you have done and put together, the momentum picking up for that cause, and then seeing this road has been laid by them. You see it. It's really pretty incredible um, to see how and and like look at look at the position that um Merrick Garland is in at this time. And he was a key player in that. So it's like this pays off for the people that are willing to do the dirty deeds. This pays off for them long-term dividends. Stella? Yeah, yeah, good point. Um, I'm just wondering, uh, sort of on a personal level and also a general level, like, I, I think it would be optimistic to think that justice could ever be served oh, yeah. here. 
Yeah. So, what is the goal? Is, is are we just are we just trying to bring back the covers as to expose? The, I mean, exposing the truth, making the public aware. Is that pretty much the ultimate goal, isn't it? I mean, there's nothing really. I, I think that's all you really can ever hope to get from from any of these sort of things. To be honest, uh, I think uh, I think a good. Uh, you know, I brought up Trinidad earlier. Kenneth Trinidad was an individual who was suicided, much like Terence. And the the interesting aspect about Kenneth's story is it leads into the individual Jesse Trinidad, who has been probably the biggest hero when it comes to the Oklahoma City bombing. Uh, if there is to be a hero, uh, I mean, obviously Terrence would be a hero the day of, but like in the, you know, the wider conspiracy aspect, uh, Jesse is that guy because he started digging into when they suicided his brother when he was uh, he was a prisoner in federal in the federal transfer center in Oklahoma City bombing. It looks like they may have uh, confused him for John Doe too. Yeah. yeah, so he started digging into it and that got him embroiled in uh, the Oklahoma City bombing story. It got him to start doing FOIAs, doing all sorts of stuff because you know getting justice to for Kenneth essentially became uh, inextricable from getting uh, you know digging into the Oklahoma City bombing. So he started digging, he's been he's still to this day doing that because the two are inseparable. Um, and he he is in, like there was a presentation he gave and he said in that and he said in other times as well that, you know, I don't have any delusions that I'm gonna, that anyone will ever, you know, see any justice for the death of my brother, but I can harm the reputation of the Department of Justice, you know, which is like the, the, the entity that rules over the feds essentially. Uh, and, and I think that's, about what you can get because at the end of the day that is how we the only way we can you know buttress ourselves against them is to be aware of their their stuff because it is all comes down to psyops so once you're aware of the psyops it doesn't yes. mean people won't fall the psyop fall for the psyops but we'll have more people who don't and we'll kind of inculcate ourselves against them i think you brought up you brought up earlier with how they kind of laid the the ground i think it's going to backfire. They, they can only play this game for so long. They've tried to, but at the same time, they we are so much further ahead of them. <laughs> like when I say we, I mean like me, Richard Booth, you know, Ken Silva, Wendy Painty, all the people kind of just generally covering Oklahoma City bombing. They're actually like in the truth realm of it. We are so far ahead of them. We are a decentralized uh, group. We're able to you know hit on so many different fronts. We're just way more flexible, and we're also also more successful even generally on an individual level so and it's like they they have to go it's like that invincible meme where it's like look what they have to do to like to to mimic a fraction of our power like that like if you compare like like I, I keep going back to this and I feel like I'm filleting myself but I'm not I'm just trying to illustrate a point that like he created a whole damn book went on the on CNN with Anderson Cooper doesn't even get a hundred likes like I hit record and say this guy died. Like a, a thousand, like like we are we are so farther ahead of them. We are, and I think like like the whole premise of it, the Tubin's book here is that oh we the, this through line from the Oklahoma City bombing to January sixth. It's like you know what you couldn't you couldn't give me an easier uh thing to destroy because I can easily go yeah I agree with you. There's a through line, but not your through line. Look at the Bingo. feds. <laughs> like, there's the government. Your through line. Yeah, you're Bingo. you're just you're easy. Like we. We, we are so far ahead of them that we were, while they were in the, the planning phases of their propaganda, we were already like, I think we know where they're going to go with the propaganda. Like, we're already ready. So, I mean, we're already having these discussions. Like, how do we, how do we, you know, be, like, 
I think uh, Silva has already written multiple pieces on it. It's just, I don't know, it's the free market at work, and it's beautiful. And they can only, I mean, how you can only push this so often. Yeah, I'm sure Tubin, I'm sure, you know, some, you know, Fed cutout like Bellingcat or something will come and buy a few hundred thousand books. But, I mean, you can only play this funny money game for so long. And it becomes so apparent when... You don't even get a hundred likes on, on talking about your book, but hey, you made three million off your book. I'm not saying you made that, but like for example, it's right. like you know people start catching on. I'm like oh, okay, they have to put all this artificial nonsense to prop them up, and they still can't even come close to just idiots that you know are you know just scraping by and just putting together content on the internet. You know, oh, regular fucking people that care. Yeah. And yeah. that see what is going on and that, and it does matter to me for regular people to say, look, I see what you motherfuckers are up to. Maybe I can't do anything about it, but I know, and we fucking know. And like, you know, look at the message that you're spreading and Richard is spreading, just like you said, the decentralization aspect of it, of people knowing what they're up to. And that matters to me. That means something, you know, on this earthly realm, maybe we won't get justice, but it, Something about that really does matter to me. Um, the other thing that I wanted to say, and and it really was Stella asked it. I think it's been answered because the ultimate thing is why does this story still matter? Why should people care about a 30-year-old story? But I think that it's been laid out, you know, with what you were saying and and with Stella's question, really. Yeah. I mean, it's still ongoing. Like I brought up with Jesse, this is how these things work. Like we, I mean, and I think we're actually ahead of schedule with this one compared to other things in, in a similar vein of what this is, but we still have Jesse trying to literally still waiting on a verdict back and forth. He's still suing over FOIA lawsuits right now because he has gone through years and years and years of putting up FOIA stuff and then they won't give him what he wants. And then he sues him for not giving him what he wants. And then they give him a little bit more, but still don't give him what he goes back and sues him over and over. And he's just slowly clawing information away from him. We're still dealing with this to this day. And this is the only way these things, anything happens with these, if you keep going. Like, you, if anything, like, right off the bat is usually, like, right off the bat is, like, the best time to get the clearest information, I think, is, like, probably, like, the first, like, week or so is when you get, like, the on-the-ground facts. And that's when you can really, especially nowadays, we're getting really good at that. We can really, like, if you look at that Texas shooter thing and just on-the-ground stuff, like, we're just ripping, ripping apart, like, the, the whatever the, the official narrative they try to craft. Yeah. But, I mean, when it comes to like, actually getting, I guess, something close to justice or at least getting some sort of public admission to allow things to enter the public consciousness or at least be in a spot where you can go, look, this is a respectable. Here's a document. Like, that takes a while. Like, that is, that's how that works. But even besides that, these the, the, this, the methods and the individuals that applied these methods are still existent to this day. So things like PatCon that I mentioned earlier, which is essentially the right-wing equivalent of COINTELPRO. That is essentially what was the you know template of things you see today, like the, the Michigan governor kidnapping story. Like that is basically essentially what PatCon was that was occurring at the time. Technically, PatCon got shut down, but I mean, we know how these ops work. Okay, now it's not yes. PatCon, now it's the, you know, I don't know, uh, MagaCon. I, I don't know. Right, yes, something, <laughs> something super similar that is like, just because they have a pattern. That's the other yeah. thing that people in the truth movement talk about a lot is like, they they have a playbook. It's not like they're super creative to to be as intelligent um, as they think that they are. It 
there's a lot of overlap um with stuff like that yeah there's templates and, and, i mean you often exactly. just to look at what's coming you've just got to look at history yeah. yes um okay so we have reached about the end of the time one really quick thing before you go what do you think harry knew that they didn't want him talking about hmm. yeah this this is my question too that i wanted to ask was he talking about things or is his death just mysterious and related to stuff Yes and no. <laughs> uh, uh, he was talking, but it was only to certain people. My ideal interview, if, if anyone out there can find this woman, Ramona, Ramona McDonald, I would love to interview that person. I don't know because, I mean, just to, just to lay out the kind of chronology of the sources, she was in that uh, 97 Hoffman article. She one of the original ones, probably one of the best Tanya or Terrence Yeeke articles. She was a source then. Oh, and when I say source, I don't think they actually reflect like, – talk to her if you read the the article it was a letter from terry to her that was the, i don't believe there was any i mean maybe there was something from her but it seemed to be she there was very not much as a source there or just the letter but then just recently this cnn article came out and they used a source she was only listed as ramona in that in that 97 article in this most recent one they were listed as ramona mcdonald but they made a blurb in there about how she changed her name so i don't think her last name is mcdonald i think ramona is probably her name if i had to guess but uh their ramona was spelled differently in the 97 one and in the newest one so i mean it is kind of like there's nothing that directly says they're the same person but if you kind of understand context of the stuff that was being said in the 97 article and the stuff she said later it's like they're, they're probably the same person like they're, they're basically describing the same stuff uh but so a little bit more information came from her in the 97 one so it makes me wonder maybe she's more open to talking but then it's a question of like well how the hell do i find this person i don't I, know i'm hoping someone out there maybe knows them she's willing to talk publicly maybe be a little bit more on the record if there's because i think that could be i mean it's great when she's being used as sources for cnn articles or or different you know journalistic but there's something different when you're like can put them on video answer direct questions and you know like it, i showed the world this is the face is the person saying it, as opposed to just some you know, scribble because it's like I'm sure I'd, I definitely have different questions than that CNN or, uh, person did. And for all I know, there could have been stuff she said that was more pertinent in my eyes that he didn't even include in the article. So, right. I mean, I personally, I'd, I'd love to get a hold of her. But um, what he knew, yeah, he was talking to her. He was, that was one he was talking to, but that was pretty much the main one. LaShawn, his sister LaShawn made a comment in the latest, latest CNN one that he saw evidence of what looked like. Uh, where the bomb, uh, where the, the building had blown out as opposed to blow in, because it'd be blowing in if it was a, if it was a truck bomb, because you know come into it or whatever. Uh, if it's blowing out, it would indicate some sort of explosive happening on the inside. Uh, uh, that is seems to be what I mean. If you read the Ramona um, in, uh, letter, he made some comment about overhearing some conversation from an individual named Luke Franey. And then he kind of makes something like something about him debriefing the situation. Uh, and then he made some point that then he kind of then you got to keep in mind this is a conversation between two people. So obviously we're only receiving one side. So you're kind of missing some context. So I'm kind of interpreting what it said. It sounds to be from then he deduces from that conversation that somehow that they were involved to some degree. Now I'm not saying that means they did it, but that could mean they just they had uh it could have been like a sting op gone wrong kind of deal. It could have been like we infiltrated this or whatever. I don't know. It's kind of like he doesn't specifically spell it out there, but seems to be he's implying that. Also, like I said, with his, his sister said the thing about the blowing out. I don't know particularly what he saw. He also did in that letter made a comment about how he thought it was weird when he first got there 
just you know, despite him being one of the first people, if not the first person on scene, there were already ATF agents in full like gear with like their little ATF jackets on and stuff. Uh, you know, already on scene. And so he's like, well, that's weird. How did they beat me? Because he was there within minutes, like I believe less than two minutes. Uh, so how were they there? Especially since if anyone knows, and a lot of people know this, pretty common, commonly known for people to dig into this, the, none of the ATF members were there that day when the bomb went off. So, yes. uh, you know, how convenient. Uh, there was a, you know, one of the, there's one source that said uh, he was talking to an ATF individual and they said that, um, they got a beeper that did not come in that day. Although then there was, you know, made up stories by the ATF later about how they fell something ridiculous, like nine floors and in, in the elevator in, in free mm-hmm. fall. And then man should get out and save lives. The, the, uh, all stuff yeah, like that. yeah the, the, the elevator technicians later was like, you know, that's nonsense. They'd be dead. <laughs> but, wasn't there also, um, wasn't there also a whole bunch of, uh, paperwork and files and things blown up that day? Uh, I, and I've never really, to be completely honest, you never dug into that too deeply, but it's my impression from a lot of people who have is that is kind of almost one of those ones, those, uh, threads people dig on that really isn't as important as they think it is. Cause at that time, if there were any, you know, paperwork, it would be backed up elsewhere. It's also, in my opinion, like, okay, maybe there was, I don't know, but that's, I think that's people looking for a quick and easy answer for why this happened. Uh, cause people, cause people always, I think people always apply like a simplistic look at these or like, okay, if you're saying this is a red flag or some sort of op gone wrong or this or that, why would they do that? You have to give me direct reason. Whereas if you actually, once you start digging into things like Gladio, Operation Phoenix, Northwoods, you start understanding the mentality behind that. That's not how that works. It's not like, well, we'll do X and you know or or we'll do x and y and then z will happen it's not not how it works it's a, they call it a strategy of tension it's a it's a it's a uh you know a strategy over a long period of time you're not like stuck on one specific goal it's just affecting essentially you're moving the energy the way you want it to like in operation phoenix when they did it in vietnam the whole idea was they were doing false flag attacks on like the like they made it look like the Viet Cong was doing it like little bombings assassinations you know just sowing terror within the populace making Making it look like the Viet Cong did. And don't get me wrong, I'm not like simping for the Viet Cong. I'm not, I don't think they're great either. But you know what that does is that that takes them, the 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 populace who maybe didn't completely hate the Viet Cong or maybe looked to them somewhat as you know for security against the the empire. And now instead they're doing the opposite. Now they're they're more likely to you know bow to whatever the you know a security state you know apparatus wants. Uh, you know, so I mean this is a thing we've done for a while that happened in Gladio as well over in Europe. Uh, like that's it's not this like we do this and this happens because everyone always goes, well, were there any any laws passed or what was a specific thing? And yeah, okay, like don't be wrong, like that is like sort of part of it, but it's not like it's, they have specific items that they're like, well, if we do this, we'll get that. Like it, it is just an idea yeah. of generally moving moving the energy in that way, you know. And we, yeah. as we often say here, most things that happen like this are very multifaceted and uh, yes. achieve lots of different things. So, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And it's the, the, the strategy of tension that you brought up is exactly, I mean, it sounds exactly like what we're doing with all of these mass shooters that are happening. And, and I'm just not somebody that is going to buy that this is just happening organically. I just don't. Um, yeah. especially with like what you said with the most recent one um down in Texas. It's just it just seems like we're just under a sustained attack to try to make X happen, you know. 
gun yeah. control, all that stuff. So it doesn't mean they do all of it. It, it. it always could be a spectrum. It could be as simple as they say some organic thing happens and then they just then, you know, come behind it and, you know, mess with the information to make their thing work or they're, they were just aware. And so they kind of, or maybe they screwed up. It's always this like spectrum and it's always this plausible deniability, like even, you know, so it's kind of this thing where it's like, okay, uh, you know, they have all the incentives in place, even just looking at it from incentive level of, okay, we will build up this threat and, if we stop the threat, cool. And if we don't stop the threat, eh, it works out either way. <laughs> so there's right. like, whether you want to give intentionality behind some of these things happening or not, it's almost a little bit beside the point. Cause either way, it's like, it doesn't matter either way. They're, they're incentive. They have, they're not very incentivized to, to, to stop it from happening. It, right. it really makes little difference. If anything, it's almost slightly better for them if they don't stop the things happening. Like, well, I guess if we had more money, this wouldn't happen, you know? <laughs> so, yeah. It's right. like that. Yeah. It's like the, um, whatever happens, this ne never let a good crisis go to waste. So they'll just yep. pick it up and run with it, I guess. Yeah. Rom Emanuel. Yeah. Yeah. Um, okay. So I think that's it for me. Uh, Perm, Kiel, Stella, do y'all have any other questions or anything um, that you want to ask or discuss with Jose before we let him go? Mm, I got lots of uh, questions. But I don't you think answered all my questions before I got a chance to get to them. So. Okay. Oh, I'd be... Sorry, Perm. Can you hear me? Yeah. Um, okay, so I guess that's it then. Uh, we have taken just a little bit more than an hour. Thank you so, so much for coming and speaking with us. We really appreciate your time. This is a lot of information in a, a short amount of time. So I really hope that this is going to give people just some of those seeds that we talked about to start reaching out to you, reading Richard's work, reading the books, like start studying so that you can have these conversations with other people in your life. And um, it's been very enlightening uh, for me ever since I saw your tweet and kind of went down the whole rabbit hole. So. Awesome. Thanks for having me. Uh, I think Perm was saying something and we, we, we talked over him. Were you trying to ask a question before or, or what? I think we talked. Oh, I was just saying that uh, he got to each question I had before I got a chance to even ask it. So I appreciate you coming on and. Oh, thanks for, thanks for having me. I, I mean, bless, I'd be well, glad to do it again. There's still, this really is one of those ones. Anytime someone comes and tells me, come on, it's like, it's like in my head, I have to like try to remind myself like not to go off on different ones. Cause like hell, when I was talking about all the different threads, there really is like, I can get off in a th thing where I'm like, well, let me tell you about how Chevy Kehoe was really one of uh, Jack Oliphant's uh friggin' uh, what are they called sunshine people or whatever his weird cult, cult was and it's like well maybe there was some program to kill stuff going on here and then later like it's like you do get in these weird it goes so far out and there's so many different ways to take it it's uh i mean obviously a lot of times it gets into speculation territory but there it really is there's so many weird threads once you get into these spooky things there's see there's cia connections there's atf there's fbi there's splc connections it is such a weird uh, this is why it really is such a great uh, one for people to start digging into because you ties in so many other things, especially the pertinent ones, and it just is like it's I don't know, it's just fun. <laughs> but uh, yeah, you know, I appreciate yeah. you guys having me. I'd be glad to do it again anytime. Yeah, we would love that. And um, as we talked about the standard podcast uh, sign off, why don't you tell people how they can get in touch with you? 
Yeah, uh, if you want to, you know, talk to me so far as like social media wise, uh, I'm on Twitter. That's probably one of the most active at Tower Gang Jose. You can follow me there. Uh, I'm usually pretty responsive, or at least I try to be. So if you want something or hit me up, you, you hit me up there. Uh, and I'm on Instagram, Facebook as well. I don't, I'm not really active there, but if you want to. Uh, but yeah, my, my show is on YouTube, all the major odd packages, Odyssey as well. Uh, it's the No Way Jose Show. Uh, being like I said, I have the OKC playlist. You know, if you want to go to YouTube, hit the playlist. It's got that whole playlist of OKC stuff. Uh, but yeah, uh, trying to think of anything else. I think that's really all I got. Yeah, go check out my show. I'll say the Tower Gang show if you like offensive comedy. If you don't, don't watch it. <laughs> <laughs> we love it. <laughs> Absolutely. Okay. Thank you so much, Jose, and uh, we will talk to you soon. Okay. All right. Thank you. Yeah. All right. Thanks. thanks. A lot. Bye. Bye. Thank you for tuning in for another episode of Union of the Unknowns. You can find new episodes every week on all your favorite podcasting networks.